0: welcome everybody welcome to pillar church of oceanside um my name is trace one of the pastors here and if you would uh, just grab your bibles and flip over to first peter first peter is where we're going chapter four and as you're making your way there um grateful for ronnie you know leading us out this morning and um you might look around and see there's not as many short haircuts as around as normal the, um this time of year, every year, there's a huge training exercise, Steel Night. Super cool sound, right? Steel Night. <clears throat> that happens at Twenty Nine Palms, and like most of Camp Pendleton, makes an exodus out to the desert in Twenty Nine Palms, where they will be freezing to death. Because believe it or not, even though it's the desert, it's the high desert, and it's cold at night. So keep them in your prayers, if you will. We have several of our members that are out there right now, who are going to be on their way out there. Over the next couple of weeks and then mid-december they wrap up and come home so we'll be able to welcome them back hopefully there won't be ice cubes by then but so we are in first peter as you're aware and we are going to be finishing off chapter four today and the the title of the message is under fire we're talking about being under fire uh, so if you're looking for sort of overarching themes, which is what I try to do when I look at a passage of scripture, I go, like, okay, what is the overarching theme so that I can know how to orient what I'm going to say, um, that's going to help put all this together. And so if there's a, a theme, it's a little bit wordy, but it's the best I could do with, with what we've got going on. Here, here's what it is. Times of testing require our obedience, which brings joy to us and glory to God. So times of testing, when things get difficult, when we have uh, suffering in our life, persecution, these things that are difficult to us, it requires us to be obedient to a certain standard of living that God calls us to. And it's for our good and for God's glory. So kind of keep that in mind as we're looking through the, the passage this morning. So look at First Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole section because it's not that, that big. We're going to start in verse 12. 1 Peter 4:12. 12, reading to the end of the chapter, is what it said. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or of an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins thus, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh, Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for this morning, God, the beautiful weather again. What a blessing. What a privilege it is to be gathered together as your people. Lord, sitting under the word of God that brings instruction, that brings life, that brings hope. And so as we as we do sit under the word of God, Lord, we pray that there would be something inside of us, Lord God, that's moved to action. That we are not here to sit and listen to a message, to, to leave it. And go live our lives apart from that message. Lord, you call us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So let us be just that today. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so all the way back in 1 Peter chapter 1, he makes a call for us to be holy. Uh, He says, you're going to be set apart. Just as I'm holy, you be holy. And as a result, we look different. We sound different. And we come under fire because of that. So we've discovered elsewhere in 1 Peter that because we've been called out of our old lifestyle, our old sinful habits, that we are being refined by God. Remember we talked about gold being purified and all the, the impurities coming up to the top and then scraping them off. Well, what do you have to do to gold to get those impurities to rise up? You've got to heat it up. It's got to come under intense fire. Right? For it to produce those impurities and rise to the top. So that's kind of what we've been discovering. Um, It does make us stand out from the world. We look different. We sound different. And we should. We don't belong here, right? We know that it's a temporary residence that we find ourselves in here. Peter, I love his language sometimes. He's like, look, the time for living as the world lives, man, that is past. Like, the way that you are entwined in the sin and the selfish motives, that's gone. Like, we don't do that anymore, essentially what he's saying. We're a chosen race. A royal priesthood, he calls us. A holy nation, a God's, a people for God's own possession. That's who we are. And that's, again, going to cause us to be looked at and perhaps even treated differently. But that's a good thing. It really is, because our hope, I hope anyway, that our desire is not to fit into the world. You don't have to turn there, but this is a a good scripture to kind of, Memorize or at least be familiar with First John two fifteen and sixteen. It says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of possession, is not from God; is from the world." It's like yikes! If any, if the love of the Father is, if the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father is not. It's like one or the other. So, right, we are separated from this. So, Peter's going to wrap up his letter and he makes one more final pass. <laughs> one more time he's going to ensure that we understand that the reality that all of us Christians are going to face. Trials and testing are going to come our way. Meaning, persecution because of our faith in Jesus and a refining by Christ. First, or Peter shows us um, five things this morning. So, if you're a note taker, you're going to go through five principles that really we really need to take to heart, church. We we need to know how to live this out in real time. Again, it's not just a a good thing to sit and listen to for for a couple of minutes here on Sunday morning, but this is this is things that we are going to apply in our lives. So, as we work through this, I also want you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we kind of introduced the idea of developing I will statements. When you sit here on a Sunday morning and you're listening actively, you're like, okay, what do I do with this? Now, part of our job as pastors is to help set it up, like tee it up for you. Like, all right, here here you go. Here's what you do with this. But a lot of the responsibility is is on you as well. As you sit with the word of God, as it marinates, uh, you know, in your heart, what do I do with that? So we're going to, we're going to, come back to this at the end, but as you're actively listening and paying attention, not for me, like I don't care. (laughs) I do care, but it's not for me (laughs) that you're listening. It's for you to be able to put it into words for your I will statements. Okay. All right. Number one, we're going to work through these quickly. So stick with me. Verses 12 and 13, make it clear that we are to rejoice under fire. Peter's like, all right, friends, do not be surprised When fiery trials come. As if something strange is happening to you. Like, don't be upset. Don't be surprised. It's gonna happen. Now, it helps a lot if you know you're about to be attacked, right? Think about it like on a battlefield. If you don't know the enemy is coming in a surprise ambush, surprise attack, it puts you in a place of extreme disadvantage, right? You're confused. You don't know what's happening. You don't know how to maneuver through this thing. But if you're on high alert, even if you don't know exactly where the attack is coming from, you're positioned to react immediately, to hopefully redirect the enemy's attack. You're like, okay, uh, nope, going this way. So that what could have been extremely disastrous is not as bad. You, You minimize the effectiveness of the attack as much as possible. So what he's saying is, don't be caught off guard. Dig in and be ready for a purpose. Why? So that we can rejoice in those moments of attack. And I realize that this may be a foreign concept for a lot of us. Like, how am I supposed to rejoice in the middle of being attacked? Like, what does that mean? But look carefully at what Peter is saying. He says, rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's what? You're sharing in his suffering. So part of being able to rejoice is knowing and understanding why you're in the position you're in in the first place. So theologian um, Edmund Clowney, he writes it this way, he says, In wonder of God's design, it was his purpose that Christ should suffer for us, and by his suffering save us. Knowing his suffering for us, we may rejoice when God wills that we should suffer for him. We We cannot add to his atoning sufferings, for he bore the sins in his own body on the tree. Christ suffered once for sins. Yet, when we suffer as Christians, there's a sense in which we share in the sufferings of Christ. Made righteous by him, we suffer as the righteous with him. Now, there's a, a beautiful picture of this. If you if you think back to me with um, the first couple of chapters of Acts, like the beginning of the church, we see Peter and John responding, persecution from the Jewish leaders, right? Initially, they preach the gospel, they're arrested, and they tell them, don't do that anymore. Shame on you. Well, what do they do? They go back and preach the gospel again. Boom, they're arrested. This time they're beaten. And then told again, nope, don't do this. So this is their response in Acts 5.41. Remember, they've been beaten, right? Not a good thing. Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council, where they had been beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You see, this is that inaction. Regardless of what's happening to you, regardless of the, the suffering and the things that you're coming face to face with, God calls us to rejoice in the midst of that. So now, we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little more as we get into the, the scripture, because I think it, at first glance, it's, it's really hard to understand how we're supposed to rejoice in the middle of that. But how we respond to these situations, my friends, tells the world a lot. When we respond as God directs us, it tells the world that we believe what we say we believe. Right? It's not just lip service. I believe what I believe. And I'm going to stand firm in this. It tells us that we have a faith. It tells them that we have a faith that cannot be shaken. And it shows them what grace under fire really looks like. So Peter says rejoice now. As you face trials and opposition and persecution. But not only for the fact that we get to count ourselves worthy to share Christ's sufferings. But look at the end of verse 13. Verse 13. Be glad when his glory is revealed. When is Christ's glory fully going to be revealed? Anybody? The second, the second coming, when he comes again, right? Be glad when his glory is revealed. That is when he returns for us. Our rejoicing in the trials right now is going to produce a greater joy when Christ comes again. So, number one, stand firm and rejoice, my friends, in the Under fire, I should say. Rejoice under fire. All right, number two. Verse 14, again, makes it pretty clear that we are to be blessed under fire. Be blessed under fire. Peter tells us that when we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed. Now, I think it's important to note when this particular letter was being written, the kind of persecution that the average believer was experiencing was verbal. All right, Peter's not, in this case, writing to a church that is being killed off by the hundreds. Now that happens sort of on either side of where Peter is in history, but he's writing to the person who's basically in our shoes. We're not being killed off by the hundreds, but we're going to be facing some verbal kinds of opposition. That's who he's writing to. So we can take this to heart. People often are just standing in opposition to what we believe for the sake of inclusions of what they believe. All kinds of lifestyles and things that they feel are right. Regardless of the type or amount of the fiery trials, Peter tells us, man, we're blessed. Be blessed. And and Jesus tells us the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Be blessed when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were... Before you. But also this. I love this. Peter says, Be blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, church, we get a taste right now of the glory that is to come when Christ returns. The Holy Spirit, I don't know if you knew this, the Holy Spirit has a special role in the life of the believer who's coming under persecution. How else can we remain steadfast Through these situations. How can a martyr. Who's about to go to his death. Perhaps burnt to death. Hung. Whatever. And praise God. As that's happening. How is that possible? I've got to ask you. It's impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Because the Holy Spirit blesses them. And the ministry of that Spirit brings comfort and joy. That's the only way that we can walk through this. And that's the blessing. So, God doesn't replace suffering with joy, as Wiersbe says. He will transform suffering into joy. Did you catch that? It doesn't replace it, he transforms it. Think about the mother giving birth. The same baby that brought tremendous pain transforms into great joy. Right? Hopefully? Hopefully? It's like you see some head shake ins, you're like, okay, you maybe forgot about that. You got some teenagers in the house or whatever. But in that moment, that's what happens. Uh, the Paul, the, the Paul, the thorn in Paul's side, that caused him all kinds of trouble, also gave him power and glory, gave him new perspective. And then, of course, the cross that brought Jesus' torture and suffering also brought power and glory. So this work of the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that rests upon Us who come under fire, man, that's amazing. Be blessed in that moment and seek to be comforted by the working and ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's a very unique role of the Holy Spirit. There are other, obviously, roles of the Holy Spirit. But under persecution, under fire, under pressure, the Holy Spirit sustains and brings joy in suffering. All right, number three. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that we're to glorify god under fire so as all of these things are happening to us we see these situations unfolding we we have a great opportunity in front of us church and that is to bring glory to god now thinking and praying this morning is like all right why do we exist you you ever thought about that like really really think why do we exist what is our ultimate reason for being here for the glory of God. We exist to bring glory to God. I mean, that's what encapsulates our mission statement, right? We exist to know Jesus and what? Make him know not just the name, but the power and majesty and love and, and healing that brings glory to God. That's why we are here. So, bringing glory to God under fire is challenging. I'll give you that. But Peter wants us to make sure that we're not facing suffering because of some choices of our own, right? He's like, hey, don't, don't suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer. And I don't think that Peter's under the impression that Christians are going to be acting this way. I think he is um, associating penalties with these actions to show that there's a difference between genuine Christian suffering and suffering that comes as a consequence of sinful actions. I think that's why he's doing that. But the last term, look down at verse 15. What's the last term after evildoer that he uses? Meddler. Okay. I think this one is something for us to consider because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with Peter on the fact that I don't think anybody here is going to be guilty of the first three. But let's look at meddler. What comes to mind when you think of metal? Yeah, someone else's business. The first thing that comes to my mind is Scooby-Doo. So fill in the blank. I want to see where we are on this. I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you. Meddling kids. Come on, Audrey. I just set it up for you. Messing kids. Meddling kids. Yeah, that's groovy, right? Well, what's not groovy is sticking your nose in somebody else's business as I heard, oh, maybe not in those words. I got to tell you, church, this is a surefire way to bring the wrong kind of attention to yourself. Right? Stick in your nose in other people's business. Some translations use the word busybody. That's not really a word that we use today. Neither is meddling. But I guarantee you, it's never going to bring glory to God. It's never going to bring glory to God. But what will bring glory to God, my friends, is our grace under fire and remaining faithful In the face of difficult circumstances and difficult people. With joy. With joy. Bringing glory to God is the greatest privilege that we have. And we do that through our obedience. In the the midst of suffering, but also when things are great. Sometimes it's harder to bring glory to God when things are great. You kind of forget how God operates in your life. You're like, oh, I, I think I actually got this i got life figured out, right? My bank account's full. i got a great house. Things are going well. My relationships are on, you know, just perfect. I'm good. I don't need anything. That's a dangerous place to be. Could be why God often allows things to happen to our lives to remind us <laughs> of who we really are and what we really need in Him. Okay, this next principle Man, I think it's one of the best. I, I, I absolutely love what Peter says here. And at, at first glance, it may seem a, a little difficult to see what Peter is saying here. But I want to, I want to take the whole thing, the big picture here. Let's let's look at um, verses 17 and 18. Flip back to wherever I was. Uh, f- particularly the beginning of verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. We'll just stop right there. It is time for the house, the judgment to begin in the household of God. How many of you read that and wondered what exactly that means? Anybody? Are, are we under judgment as Christians? I mean, that's what Peter just said, right? Very clear. In fact, every single translation that I looked at, the word judgment was used. It's not just a, a kind of a... Uh, Maybe one person translated it differently than the other. No, 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 no. That's the word that was used. So that's why I said, let's look at the big picture. Because we know from other passages that believers do not face judgment as a punishment for sin. Can we all agree with that? Believers do not face a judgment as the penalty for sin. Christ has already done that. In fact, go back to 1 Peter 3.18 and you'll, you'll see very clearly Christ died once for sins. That's part of the gospel message that we preach So what are we talking about here then? The word is very clear. So, well, according to um, Ligonier Ministries, the word has a broad meaning involving also a judgment that gives an approval for is for the purpose of discipline, though not necessarily for any specific sin. The fiery suffering, the trials that come into our lives that we saw in verse 12, is used by God to judge us though not necessarily as a temporal consequence for some sin that we have committed. Now, listen to this. Sometimes God uses sufferings to test our faith so that we may display our deep commitment to Jesus. Sometimes he uses it to strengthen our faith. It's far easier to trust God after being put through the ringer, so to speak, than it is before we faced serious difficulties. Can anybody attest to that? Yeah, it's hard to have faith in something when you haven't put that faith to the test and come out the other side and go, okay, what he said (laughs) is what he means. Look at what he has done to sustain me through this. Look at how he has organized my life that I can get through this with his help. All of this is summarizing the fourth point that I think, again, is just wonderful is to be made fit under fire. What does it mean to be made fit? Anybody? To be ready? Sure, absolutely. To be sustained. So God uses trials, and we know that now, to strengthen the character of us, you and me, believers, in this life, in order to make them fit to be in the presence of the Lord in the life to come. Let me read that again. God uses trials to strengthen the character of a believer in this life in order to make them fit to be in the presence of the Lord in the life to come. There is great purpose in our suffering, my friends. And I don't believe this is limited to suffering under persecution. Although that's the theme of this chapter, of the the letter, really. I believe that whatever the cause of any particular fiery trial... God is refining us and preparing us to be in the presence of the Lord forever. That should be of encouragement to you, my friends. As you are, perhaps some of you right now, experiencing a fiery trial, you're, 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 you're sensing, feeling that suffering, man, know that God is refining you so that you are made fit for be in His presence forever. I think, in some cases, when things get really challenging, that might be the only thing you can hold on to. And perhaps, the reality is, some of us here have never really been to that place. You've never been brought to the place where the only thing you've had to hold on to is the promise that God says, I am sustaining you through this, and it's for my glory, and it's for your good, and you will come out the other side more fit to be in my presence forever. And if you haven't experienced that yet, church, it's coming. Some of you are there right now. I know it. You have to hold on to this promise that it's for a purpose to make you fit to be in the presence of the glory of God forever. I don't want to glance over this part either that, that gives us the outcome for those that do not obey the gospel. What will become of them, he says. Now, it's a bit of a rhetorical question because he doesn't give us the answer right here, but the New Testament is pretty clear what happens to them, right? What happens to those that do not obey the gospel? Romans 6.23 is clear. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. Spiritual death. Uh, Hebrews nine twenty seven. Anybody know that one? For just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I mean, that, that's it. It's coming. Except this judgment is the kind that does bring eternal punishment for rebellion against God. Some of you might have looked at verse 19, though and read, um, these words. The righteous is scarcely saved. Did that draw anybody's attention? The righteous is scarcely saved. So, um, this is not the idea that somehow God's saving ability is just barely enough to save us. Of course that's not the case. It's actually carrying the connotation. Think back to Lot. Maybe some of you remember the story of Lot. In Sodom, when he was there, Lot fell in love with the city. right? He fell in love with the lifestyle. He fell in love with everything that was there. right? And when family came to, to take him, they actually had to convince him to leave because judgment was coming. They're like, look, it's coming. Fire's about to rain down. Let's go. Does Lot go right away? Nope. In fact, it says that he lingers to the point where they have to what? we got to grab him by the hand and yank him out of town even though he knows that judgment is coming. He is scarcely saved out of the judgment that is coming on Sodom. Church, that can be us if we're not careful to fall in love with this world so much that we are scarcely saved because we're just trying to hold on and cling to every little bit of this world that makes us feel certain things. Man. Let's not linger. And let's not fall in love with this world. That's where, again, 1 John two fifteen and 16. That's, that's where it's at. And then no matter what, verse 19 also directs us to our final principle today, and that is to trust God under fire. Trust God. Peter ends this section by saying, therefore. Therefore, everything that he's just said, so as we rejoice under fire, as we are blessed under fire, as we glorify God under fire, we're made fit under fire, trust God every step of the way. He says, as you're doing good in this life and you're living out these principles, I love this, what he says, And trust your soul to the faithful creator. That's great. I love that. God knows what he's doing, Right? Yeah, he does. God knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes. Now I'll give you that. Sometimes it doesn't look very clear. It can be difficult to see what exactly God is doing, why he's doing it. But if you abide by these five principles that we just looked at, it doesn't matter if you have all the answers to your questions. Because the biggest question has already been answered. Yes, God is in control. And this is for your good and for God's glory. If you can be okay with that, there is nothing in this world that you cannot walk through. That yes, God is in control, and this is for your good and for God's glory. Alright, Lord, let's go. Let's do it. Alright, I told you at the beginning to be thinking about how this is going to be employed in your life this week. All right. so... There's a couple of I will statements right off the bat. You could use each one of these five principles as an I will statement. I will rejoice. I will be blessed. I will glorify. I will be made fit and I will trust God. But what else? What else came to mind as you were contemplating this word of some I will statements for this week? And this is going to be an interactive portion. All right. Anybody have any thoughts about some I will statements this week? We'll share the gospel. Okay, awesome. Keep in mind, as we're doing this, that as you make that statement, you're not making it to us. You're making it to the Lord. It's a commitment that you're making to the Lord. So, if you're not in a position to say something out loud, that's fine. But I don't want you to say something for this for entertaining me. (laughs) I'm not here to be entertained. I want you to take this seriously. Look, Sunday morning to me is going to start looking different. Like, you're not here to be, just have your ears tickled, church. If you are, you're in the wrong place. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We got work to do. We have work to do. The other side of an I will statement is Accountability. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to do this on a Sunday morning. And then have real, no real follow-up to that. Like, okay, great. Did I do it? <laughs> but, well, between you and the Lord, you might know. But what I want to start doing is incorporating some accountability. I'm not going to formalize anything, but perhaps some aspect of your fight club or some aspect of your life group can include some sort of question. Like, hey, what were your I will statements for this week? Would you see any obedience... <laughs> in your life towards seeing those things played out. Because that's a very important aspect about doing the things that we're called to do is having some sort of accountability. So before we wrap up and I close in prayer, just give one more more small moment for any kind of I will statements based on what we just looked at and studied. Anybody got anything? I will be in the word. I will be in the word. Awesome. Love it. I will put God first. You're perfect. Yeah. You can even attach a scripture to that. Matthew 6.33, right? I would encourage you, if you're able to, read through these verses every morning this week and see what God does with it. Because maybe you don't have an I will statement coming to mind at this moment, but as you reread it, something may come to mind that you can then put into action. So, I'll end the awkwardness, and I'll let you off the hook temporarily. Um, but just know, God is stirring in your time. He's, he's doing something, and I want all of us to be a part of it. So, let's pray, and we'll move into the next session. Father, I just thank you, Lord, so much for your faithfulness to us. God, the promises that we we looked at, the, the fact that you bless us in the midst of suffering is huge. God, it's such a comfort to know that there is purpose in what we are experiencing in this world, some things that are unpleasant, difficult, and challenging. that we would take from this Word, actionable statements, steps, things that we can do this week that draw us closer to you, that lead us to a place of greater obedience, knowing Lord that as we do that we may face challenges and trials brought on by the world because we do look different, and we do sound different, but at the end of the day Lord all of it is for your glory. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do, to make your name known, to make you famous around the world. Not because you're egotistical, Lord, because you know that you are the only true solution to the problems this world has to face. You and you alone are the solution. That's why we bring glory to your name. That's why we make you known. That's why you're so desperate and jealous for your creation, that they may come to know you and a saving faith and hope to eternity with you thank you, and I pray for your help. In Jesus' name.